will be in Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Hey, uh, again, my name's Matt Odom, buddies with Chris and Giorgio, and I have been observing you from a distance since COVID began, and there's this thing that Christians believe called the communion of saints. It's mystical, it's mysterious, in that we feel connected to each other uh, across the span of distance, and uh, that's a spiritual thing. And so what I want to tell you is that I, I love you. Um, and I know that we don't know each other very well, but I have grieved with you uh, over the losses that you've endured over the past couple of years, and I'm very proud of you and how you've walked through that season. And uh, I was told, uh, as we think about this text, I was told by Chris that you guys are in a series on Scripture, and so uh, we're going to be talking about Scripture and brokenness, and I hope actually that you see that one of the hardest passages in all of the Bible is actually one of the most encouraging and joy-filled in how we understand and navigate ourselves back to God uh, through the Holy Spirit. And so one of the ways that I do that at my church, my church is also called Redeemer, the church I pastor in Lincoln, Nebraska, is also called Redeemer, um, is that I spend a a few moments in silence before I preach. And the reason why is because I think we are engaging in an eternal uh, act when we pray, and an eternal act when we preach. And a lot of times, you know, when you're sitting and listening to somebody with a mic, it's very easy just to kind of let the person, whoever's speaking, just kind of do their own thing. And I don't think that's what we're here to do. I think we're here to interact together with God because He's present and He wants to speak with you. And most of all, He wants to pour out His love into you right now. I actually believe that, and you do too. And so in order to remember that, we're going to spend some moments in silence and we're going to ask God together, would you do that in our presence right now? Would you give us yourself and would we be open to you? So 
uh, pray with me. I'll spend some moments in silence, and then you guys pray silently, and I'll pray with a mic. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, you tell us that we belong to the world without end. And what we just sing, that what will sprout uh, up from the human heart ultimately is praise and thanksgiving to you, our Creator. And where all things fell apart, we are told about that tragic story here in our text. But you come after us, Lord. And you ask that great question, where, where are you? And I think that that's what you're asking us this morning. Where, where are we? Where are we with you? Where are we with one another? Where are we with ourselves? And Lord, what we want to be uh, is in your son, Jesus Christ. And no matter where we come from, if we claim to believe in him or if we don't, uh, this is all uh, our struggle to be right with creation, to be right with you, to be right with ourselves. And so would you speak to us, Lord, no matter where we're at, uh, right now, in Christ's name, amen. Um, there has been uh, a lot of disagreement, not just nationally, but globally, uh, on almost everything imaginable over the past couple of years, two or three years. And I think one of the great things about Genesis 3 is that we are all in agreement that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Like things are broken, and almost every human being, at least that I've spoken with over the past three years, uh, can agree on that point. And the, the scriptures, I, I know like when you hear a pastor and, and the word sin comes out of a pastor's mouth, um, it can just be kind of like eye-rolling. But, but the way that the scriptures summarize all the brokenness in the world is with that one word, sin. This is the reason why things have fallen apart. This is the reason why everyone feels fractured, not only in their relationships and their communities, but even within themselves or towards God. And that's what the scriptures reveal and expose about the world and about human beings. And that's what Genesis 3 is about. And so we're going to talk about, uh, through scripture, the, the enticement of sin, the experience of sin, and the estrangement from God. And we're going to see how actually sin leads us to Jesus Christ, um, the Savior of the world. And so, so point one, this is the enticement of sin, and it's found in verses one through five. And I know you, if you grew up in church, you may have heard this text so many times, um, but I want you to reimagine it again. I want you to place yourself back in the garden with Adam and Eve, and it says that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And another translation for that word crafty is the word subtle, that sin is subtle, the serpent is subtle in how he engages human beings. And here's the most interesting question to, to human beings that has ever been posed. Did God actually say, and then you can fill in the blank in your life, and the concept of evil, the system of evil, is personalized here through the serpent, 
And what it does in each human being's life, whether you're a little girl, little boy, or you grow up and you become an adult, it just morphs itself in different ways. Every sin has its root in that question, did God actually say blank? And you have been wrestling with that, whether you know it or not, in your life. And what undergirds that question is a distrust in the one who created us. In chapter 2 of Genesis, you see human beings, this beautiful picture, and this is rare in the ancient world, where God, the Creator, gets His hands dirty with creation as He's making us, and it's so intimate that He's mouth-to-mouth, breathing life into Adam. And what, what happens when we question God's Word is that we are in the midst of something good, and we begin to question, but what if there's more? Yeah, sure, life is good, but what if there's more? What if God is holding something back from us? And that's why we sin. We are deceived into thinking that God isn't really all that good. And you can always know you're being enticed by sin whenever you come to the Scripture and you think you have the ability to change it or question it in a way that assumes that you know how to test whether it's good or not. So, let me give you an example before we get too lost in the metaphysical realm of all that stuff. Um, My son, Lazarus, he's five years old. We have a rule for Lazarus, and the rule is you cannot walk beside a street, son, uh, without holding my hand or holding your mom's hand. And let's say my friend Lazarus went to school, to preschool, and he's got a buddy named Jackson, and Jackson... Uh, was talking to him about some of the, you know, some of the ways that he lives in his, in his house, and he's like, wait, you, your parents make you hold their hand when you walk by the road? He's like, that's weird, because like, I don't have to do that around my house or around my roads. That's, that's strange. And at that point, you can see in my son's mind that he begins to question that rule that I have placed in his life, and he begins to question basically my character and think, well, maybe that rule wasn't placed in my life for my flourishing. And it's sad because once he calls that part of me as his father into question, um, he begins to go down the path of, of deception. And there's a wedge placed between us. And it's the same with Adam and Eve here. You know, there's a guy named Paul Miller that says what Satan does is that he begins to gossip about God. He objectifies God. And he says this, Satan seductively gives Adam and Eve the inside track. And he says, here's what's really going on behind closed doors, and such is the deadly intimacy that gossip offers. Uh, Another commentator named Brueggemann says, at that point, and this is very, very important, even as we're, we're, we're talking right now at that point, Brueggemann says, God is objectified. He's treated as a third person. And this is so easy to do, even in this exact moment, to begin to talk about God and not talk to Him. And not remember that He is present in the room, watching, wanting you, wanting to interact with you and me. And here's what the gossip sounds like in verse 4 and 5. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here's what I want you to see about that lie. It is the best lie in the world. Because it's true, in a sense, at every point. He says, you won't surely die, which they didn't immediately die. Their eyes were opened, 
And they did become like God, but not in terms of reflecting Him, but almost in terms of competing with Him in knowledge and insight, discerning what's good and evil. And I want you to think about something for a moment. Before sin entered the world, before sin entered the picture, Adam and Eve knew less. Just think about that for a moment. You know, a tree doesn't have an existential crisis. But we do. And it's because we can't handle this knowledge. It's hard. All their knowledge before sin entered was dependent knowledge. They did not have an independent thought apart from God. And the reason why is because we were never supposed to have an independent thought apart from our Creator. Now, back to my son. You can see the danger of an independent thought as he's standing in the middle of a road with busy cars going back and forth. But what Scripture reveals to every human being is, can you see yourself trying to navigate this world, trying to figure it out without the Creator's kind word into your life? Can you see it? This is what sin does. And very often, you know, if you were to become a Christian today, very often what happens just like with infants, uh, the, the infant loves to, to stay close to its mother. It trusts the mother, intuitive, he or she trusts the mother intuitively. And what God wants you to do as you develop and as you mature, as you wean yourself off of that dependent infancy, is that he really wants you to trust him when it doesn't make sense. He wants you to trust His Word when you, when you don't want to. So that, for, for your own benefit, so that you know who your authority is. So that you know whose Word you're going to listen to. Yours or God's. I love uh, Georgia's sermon last week when he was talking about Springer and his interaction with Springer. Praise God for that interaction. But what, what they were both coming to is Whose word am I going to listen to? Now, I want to tell you, uh, I'm actually from Augusta, Georgia, and I married a Nebraskan. Um, And so I want to tell you a story in the form of a Southern story for a moment. And North Carolina is, we we thought of you guys as Northerners, by the way, in in the dirty South. Um, so, prior to living in Nebraska, I was in Texas, and I was driving from Augusta back to Texas one time, and we stopped in this podunk Arkansas town, with, and we were very, very hungry, me and my kids and my wife, we were very hungry, and so I got out my phone, and I saw that there were like three dominoes within a mile radius, and so I called one of them, and I, you know, it was ringing, and uh, the person answered, and she said, hello, this is Tammy, and I was like, I was trying to call Domino's. She's like, yeah, this is it. I was like, oh, well, Tammy, I, uh, I would like uh, a, a hand-tossed, you know, pepperoni pizza. Can I have that? And she said, I guess. She really said that. <laughs> so I, I navigate myself to this Domino's, and it turns out it's like, it's one of those gas stations with like a Domino's attached to the side, and the only person that was there was this guy who had ridden a bike. He had like eight trash bags around his bike handles. The moment I walk into this gas station, Tammy's leaning over the counter like this. She said, your pizza ain't ready. I was like, all right. 
And so I, I go around the store, and I'm, like, trying to kill the awkwardness by buying a bunch of, like, random drinks that I don't need. And then I, I finally hear her say, she's like, all right, your pizza's ready. And she says, she's, again, leaning over the counter, and she says, honey, uh, do you want any crushed red pepper or Parmesan? And I said, Tammy, I want two Parmesans and one crushed red pepper. Can I have that? And no kidding, she, she got up like this and she said, Honey, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> and that's the lie of evil. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, uh, it's because we decided to have whatever we wanted that we're in this mess. It's because when I get, you know, if you get away from your friends and the city or whatever you're used to, and you, you experience rural, impoverished America, the reason why that world fascinates me, the, re- the reason why that world frightens me, and it intrigues me, is because that is my inner reality every day. That's what it feels like on the inside. And what Genesis 3 is telling you is that this is the reason why. Because human beings decided to get, to get whatever they wanted. You know, there is no reason why we should, through, you know, this is why Amazon exists. I can get dry-aged meat to my door within like two hours. That should not happen, you know. Um, but we have been sold on this mantra, y'all. And th- this is not the way of human beings. We, we were not meant to get everything we want in community, in our country, in our families. And part of the joy of living under God's sovereign care is knowing that there is so much freedom in self-restraint. There is so much freedom in the limitation of what it means to be a human being. There is so much freedom in knowing that we were never meant to have an independent thought. That we, we belong un, under his care like a, like a child, needing his parents' word or her parents' word spoken into their lives. And what scripture is showing, you know, that a, a lot of scholars think that um, Genesis was written to these first century Israelites who had been enslaved for 430 years. It was an explanation of why their lives were so tragically broken and why they had been enslaved for so long and why they are wandering around the wilderness. And what Scripture is telling us is the same exact thing. That this is where it all went wrong, and this is where things fell apart. And the beauty of Jesus Christ is that when He enters the scene of the world, He is immediately driven into the desert to be tempted and tested by the serpent, by evil itself, And in the worst of conditions, he obeys God's word, using God's word to fight back evil. And that is the beauty of what Jesus has done. He declined evil at every single stage. And the, the point of Scripture is that you must have him, and I know this is intense, but you must have him in order not to ruin yourself. As the true human being, as the second Adam, Now, we've got to move on from the enticement of sin to the experience of sin. If you look there at uh, verses 6 and 7, 
I'm going to read it. And it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her, her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. You see how sensual the experience of sin is? It almost encapsulates all, all five senses. The tree looked good. It tasted good. It got Eve's heart rate up. God's word was good too, but it was normal. Every day, kind of. You know, you were used to it. But eating of this tree was new and exhilarating. You know, one commentator mentioned that uh, this is why the Lord's Prayer doesn't say lead us out of temptation, but lead us not into temptation, because we literally can't handle it. He says, and he's talking like we're Adam and Eve, he says, once we're near the tree, our pulse begins to rise, curiosity flares, and our passions are aroused. In such a situation, our ability to make decisions is paralyzed. It was the original fight, flight, or freeze. But what really, really gets the human heart outside of God to be captivated is going against his word. And I used to, when I was in college, I used to beat myself up over that feeling. Just the exhilaration of the thought of disobeying God. And I would say to myself, you know, if I was really a Christian, I wouldn't be so tempted and enjoy it. And I think what scripture is saying is don't, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. You can't handle temptation. And so pray that you don't enter it. What verse 6 and 7 is teaching us is that human brings, that we have free will, but we will 100% of the time choose disobedience to God if left to ourselves. That's why it's an absolute miracle when anyone converts to Christianity. Because what happens is that God places his spirit inside a human being, giving us the ability to have a heart that will slowly begin to choose God, to, to develop taste buds for him, so that we would even enjoy it. And what, one of the things that you need to learn, and I need to learn, is that obedience to God's word is, is hard at first, but then there's freedom. Holiness is so difficult at first, and then there's freedom. It's the very opposite of sin. You know, sin's like dominoes, you know? Eat a whole pizza, looks good, tastes good going in, and you're like, oh, it's never as good as the buildup. The sad part about the experience of sin is that the other side is always disappointing. It's always disappointing. The aftermath of going against God's word is never, ever as pleasurable as the buildup, nor as intriguing as the serpent made it seem. And this is the worst part. We become knowledgeable of our nakedness, which then leads to shame which then leads to hiding from ourselves and other people and ultimately hiding from God behind a tree. And I, I had a friend in seminary once who struggled with an addiction to porn, and he said porn is so terrible because it's like setting a silent grenade off in my family and in my community that no one knows about except me. And that could be said of all sin. Never, ever believe the lie that what you do in secret doesn't affect how you interact with the world. 
and thereby your community. Because when you do something that you know you're not supposed to do, you bring that disposition into each interaction that you have with another human being. And do you know what another human being needs from you? They need to know that God is so captivated and enthralled with you, and they need that love that has been given to you to be given to them in that confidence that you are right with God and that you don't have any shame. That's what another human being needs from us. And that's what's offered in in the gospel. Look at verse 7, though. When we sin, we cross the line that we were never meant to cross. Their eyes are opened. They see themselves as naked, and they were disappointed in how they look. Physically, God wasn't disappointed in how they physically look. Very important. And so they feel ashamed of who they are and what their bodies have done. And then they hide. Look, y'all, you ever wonder why when you look into the mirror, you're never satisfied? You ever wonder why, let's say you walk into a group of people that you love, your friends, and you have, they love you, and you have social anxiety. You ever wonder why if you get nine voices of praise and one voice of critique, which voice are you going home listening to? Genesis 3 says, this is why we struggle to like ourselves, to enjoy ourselves the way that God enjoys you. This is where things fell apart. This is the internal reality which isn't true, ultimately, of who you will be in the new creation. This is what happened. Now, I don't, I don't think, maybe I, I could be wrong here, but I don't think I have to convince many of you of all that I have said. It's easy to talk about sin. It's easy to talk about brokenness. What's much harder, what's much harder to believe is that God comes after you in the midst of it all. And he says, I'm not going to let it win. I'm not going to let evil win. I'm not going to let the voice of shame totally collapse upon you. That's not your story. And this is how he does it. We're just actually going to go down to verse 9 this morning. Verses 8 and 9, the estrangement from God. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? What a great question. There may never be a more kind question asked to you right now. Then where are you? Let's say you were sitting across the table from somebody whom you respected and who you knew loved you. And they weren't distracted. And you trusted them. And they said, they asked you the question, no, really, Where are you at? Where are you? What would you say if somebody asked you that and you knew you had their ear and their heart? Because I believe that God asked you that this morning. I do. God never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to. There's this concept called the omniscience of God. He knows everything. 
And so it's for our benefit to answer that. He knows. I had a professor from Scotland once when I was in seminary, and he was visiting some pastors over in Tokyo, Japan. He said, you know, they really like their fish over in Japan. And so they were taking him around to all these aquariums because they thought that he would like it. And he's like, it was interesting because I saw a fish that was completely transparent, totally see-through. All you could see was his eyes. And he was like, it was as if God was impressing upon me the, the phrase, Fergusson, I see straight through you. And that's what God is like with you. We're bad at hiding. He sees straight through us. And so what would you tell him this morning about where you are? And one of the things that Genesis 3 is asking us in the, in the subtext is, why, why hide? We're really, really terrible at it. Why not be honest about our situation and honest with where we're at with God and honest with who's around us? Um, look, y'all, this is, how, this is how God wins our hearts through, through our sin. Go back to the example with my son who's standing in the middle of the road, Lazarus. And let's say a car runs by him and almost hits him. And it scares him so much, and it scares me so much as his father that I, I run, I run quickly to him, and I give him a hug, and I'm like, are you okay? I love you, son. What, what does, in, in that situation, what does my son learn from that experience? This is, the, this is the beauty of the broken human heart. What does he learn? He learns that I love him, and that my word is trustworthy through the experience of his own sin. That's how God wins you. It's through the, the exact ways in which you have walked away from God's word and God's commands over your life. You guys have, you guys have experienced this. When you go down the paths of life that you just want to disregard everybody, you want to live selfishly, and God gives you a little window into what that world is like, and it scares you. And where does that send you back? it sends you back into the loving arms of your Creator. And the reason why that's even possible is because of Jesus Christ. Because He was the only human that walked... Can you imagine walking through this world and being very, very completely pleased with yourself? So much so that you didn't have to hide from anybody because you knew you were at one with God? This is who he was. And the scripture asks, where, where are you? You can be in Christ if you want to be this morning. You can be hidden in his righteousness. And part of the beauty of Genesis 3 is that, yes, it is about us. It is about human beings, but it's also about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Christ, the second Adam who came into the world to rescue human beings and that we don't have to hide if we're in him. We can be comfortable with ourselves. We can be comfortable in our own skin. We can enjoy our bodies. We can enjoy each other. And most of all, we can enjoy God forever. This is what scripture reveals. This is what scripture has done in y'all's life as I've watched you walk this season uh, 
and the life of my buddy Chris and Giorgio and, and then so many others in this room. So I just want to tell you, uh, before I pray, um, to keep going and that God is with you and that God is very, very proud of you. He can't not be if you're in Christ, that he's enthralled with you. So let's pray, and then we will uh, ingest that at the table, that good gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world not angry, uh, not bitter, but full of love to pour himself out um, for us to get, to get hit by that car so that we wouldn't have to. Lord, we ask now that as we come back to you that we would obey your word, not because we're scared, but simply because it makes us the most happy. Simply because it's that good. It is the good life. It is the bucket list. That your word, your scripture is really better than honey and it's better than gold. And it makes us wise in the way that we can reflect you, not in the way that we want to get away from you. And so would you pour your spirit out onto your people as we take your table, as you invite us back to yourself, back into your loving arms. In Christ's name, amen.